So if you have your Bible, I would love for you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12. As you're turning there, I want to call your, your mind perhaps back to um, a race maybe that you've heard of. It was August of 1954. The British Empire and the Commonwealth Games were taking place in the city of Vancouver. And so there's 35,000 enthusiastic fans that are gathered in attendance to watch one highly anticipated race. It's a one-mile race. It's, it's a race between a man from England named Roger Bannister and an Australian named John Landy. So both of these men ran impressive miles. They had broken the four-minute barrier earlier that year. I can't imagine running a four-minute mile. But Bannister first broke the four-minute mile with a time of three minutes and 59 seconds and a fourth. And that following month, John Landy became the new record holder with an official time of three minutes and 58 seconds. And the race was promoted as the mile of the century. It would later be known as the miracle mile. And here's why, because here's what happened. Landy and Bannister, they took their positions on the starting blocks. The gun was fired and both men took off. Landy took a quick commanding lead over all of the other runners. He held that lead for most of the race. There's 90 yards to go. That's roughly half a mile left. Or uh, 0.5 miles left. John Landy glanced over his left shoulder to check the position of his opponent. And as he looked over and glanced over his left shoulder... Bannister made his final move. Bannister streaked by him on the other side and won with a record time of 3 minutes and 58 seconds. And Landy would finish in second with 3 minutes and 59 seconds and a sixth. I bring this story because I am captivated by um, competition. I think if I was willing to bet, I think most people in this room are captivated by competition. For centuries, there has been something about competition that brings a watchful eye. I know this because every eight years, we watch behind a TV screen curling during the Winter Olympics. I become the biggest curling fan every eight years. There is something about putting a group of people together who are the best at what they do and watching them compete. And this was true for the early church as well. The athletic competitions of the Greeks provided a common New Testament analogy for the Christian life. And so today as we look at Hebrews 12, the first two verses, the author is going to use the idea of an athletic competition as an analogy to describe the Christian faith. I want us to read that, but before I do, I want to just give some context to the passage itself. I think this is important because as we open in Hebrews 12, we have to realize that there are 11 other chapters that have come before it, and those 11 chapters really set the stage for this opening chapter 
So while there is some uncertainty as to who the author of Hebrews is, we do know some things about uh, the book of Hebrews. We know that the recipients were Jewish Christians that, that were affected by the dispersion. So they had been scattered because of their faith. The author is writing during a time of hardship. These Jewish Christians, they had fled from their homes. They had faced and were facing persecution. Chapter 2, 14 through 18 tells us that fearing death, some were tempted to turn away from the faith. So these Christians had suffered uh, both suffering and shame uh, for their faith in Christ. They were living in a pagan Greek culture under Roman authority. They had been stripped of everything that had been familiar to them. They had been stripped of the visible institutions of any kind of organized religion. Everything around them was opposed to the gospel truth. The readers of this letter were tempted to turn away from their faith, to fall into unbelief, and thus give up their pilgrimage of faith. They were ready to, to throw in the towel, if you will, and just say, I'm done. I'm going back to Judaism. It was, it was easier. I'm, I'm going back. I'm, I'm done following Christ. I'm done. It's too hard. And it's in this context, the author of Hebrews pens this letter. And this letter, in this letter, his goal is to remind these Christians that Christ is sufficient. That in everything that happens in this life, Christ is sufficient. He is sufficient in that he is superior to the angels, uh, one, two. He is superior in chapters one and two. He is superior to Moses in chapters three through four. As pertains to a high priest, Christ is superior to any other high priest who had come before him. He writes on that in chapter 4. As pertains to his priestly ministry, he is superior. And we read that in eight, uh, chapter 8 through 10. And so because of this sufficiency of Christ, the author then urges the audience to persevere in the faith. He implores them not to turn back, not to throw in the towel, but to keep pushing, to keep persevering. And so in chapter 11, what immediately happens before chapter 12, we read what is often known as the Hall of Faith. You're perhaps familiar. The, the author provides a list of, of some Old Testament saints who throughout their lives, despite various trials, despite various hardships, they remain steadfast in the faith. And so that's what brings us to chapter 12. So let's read this together. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Would you pray with me just real quick? God, we love you. We thank you that you love us, that you have called us according to your purpose, that you... Um, uh, you, you love us and care for us and you desire for us to run the race that we have set out to run. God, would you be glorified this evening in all that is said and done in your name that we pray, amen. So I want us to, to briefly look at two things. 
first, I want us to look at the first verse. It's a call to persevere. A call to persevere. Read this with me. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before, before us. And so building off this previous chapter, building off Hebrews 11, the author transitions from, from the past. He's speaking of these Old Testament saints He's speaking of the past and that have gone before them, and he's doing this to set the stage to talk about what he's said, to, to bring them, if you will, into uh, this, this imagery that invokes an athletic stadium in the present. So he points to the past, and he says, okay, now let's, let's speak of the present. And so he reminds his audience that, that in the race of faith, they are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. The author wants his readers to know that, that they aren't inventors of the race that they are running. They aren't the first ones to run the race of faith. Rather, wherever they turn their eyes, wherever they cast their gaze, they have an example of faith that is ready to meet them. And so the cloud of witnesses serves as an example of faith. Uh, as they went throughout life, they could look at, at someone like Abel, who by faith offered a more acceptable sacrifice than his brother, by which he was commended as righteous. As these Christians suffered for their faith, as they endured hardship and persecution, they could be reminded of someone like Abraham, who when tested offered up Isaac. Or of the faith of Moses, who by faith refused to be called a son of Pharaoh and chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin. And so the author reminds us that these Christian, the, reminds these Christians of these sinful but, but faithful men and women who have gone before them, who had ran the same race that they are now running. They, by their faith, have, have provided an example of, of how to run the race that they had begun to race. And so building on this, the, the author proceeds. It is, it is the fact that we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses that we too must run the race of faith. I love what the author does. He, he gives us an answer, or he gives us the answer of how to run the race that we have begun. First, he, he invokes his readers to, to, to lay aside every weight and sin that clings closely. If you notice, during competition, an athlete cares little about their appearance. The goal for the athlete is to win at all costs, and so they will do whatever it takes to shave off a fraction of a second to ensure that they get the best outcome possible. I enjoy running mostly, and occasionally I will go out and I will jog. And I remember a few years ago, I was planning to run a race. I was planning to, to run a, a 10K, a six-miler, and it was my first race, and I was excited about it. I was, I was outside. I was training, and there was one day in particular that I remember I, I was needing to run that evening, and so I was trying to get my mind just just ready to run. I, I put in my, my headphones and got my music going. I tied my shoes. I was sitting in, in, in there and then I, I went outside and, and got ready to go jog. I, I got my everything set and then I, I pushed my time and, and my time began to go and I began running. 
I very quickly realized I had a problem. I'd left my keys in my pocket. Running light is difficult as it is, but trying to run with extra baggage is, is even harder and often impossible. The author of Hebrews is, is telling us that to run the race that we are called to run, we need to lay aside every weight that clings so closely to us. One author says this, he says, let us lay aside every weight or every burden, etc., as he refers to the likeness of a race. He bids us to be lightly equipped, for nothing more prevents haste than to be encumbered with burdens. Now, there are various burdens which delay and impede our spiritual course, such as the love of this present life, the pleasures of the world, the lusts of the flesh, worldly cares, riches also, and honors, and other things of this kind. Whosoever then would run in the course prescribed by Christ must first disentangle themselves from all these impediments, for we are already of ourselves more tardy than we ought to be, so no other causes of delay should be added. The Christian, as they run the race of faith, as you run the race of faith, we are, we are to rid ourselves of any habit or any hindrance that would get in our way or impede our ability to move forward, to make forward progress. And notice, notice that the author, he doesn't call us to, to just lay aside sin, I think this is important because there are certain things in Scripture that we know are wrong. There are certain things as we read God's Word that that are strictly prohibited, and we know not to do those things. But He doesn't call us to just lay aside sin, but rather anything that keeps us from running. And so my question, are we carrying, are you carrying perhaps something that is keeping you from being more patient, more kind, more gentle, more loving, Is there something that's keeping you from being more holy or more pure, more self-controlled? The author implores his readers to to lay aside everything that would get in the way of forward progress. Perhaps there are lots of other things that maybe we could think of that would cause a runner to, to take their eyes off the race. But the author is making one point clear. He's saying, if it gets in the way of our pursuit of holiness... We're called to lay it aside. Second, he encourages us to run the race of faith faith with endurance. The race of faith is is not a quick sprint. It's a marathon. We know this, right? It requires determination and a resolve to not give up, but to finish at all costs. One of my favorite books is... John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. If you've not read it, and maybe you're not a reader, if I could encourage you to read one book other than the Bible in your lifetime, it would be Pilgrim's Progress. As John Bunyan is sitting in a jail cell because of his faith, he tells a story of a man named Christian. Christian is a man who sets out on a journey from the city of destruction to the celestial city. And in his journey, he encounters various trials and dangers, struggles. He encounters the mockery of others. He encounters exhaustion, temptations to turn around. But throughout his journey, he is also accompanied by others who provide him with encouragement and hope and truth. 
Perhaps maybe this story is so loved by so many because this story is our story. His story is the story that every person who has claimed Christ and began the race of faith. There's no one in this room that is exempt from hardship of life. We in this room, we know that sin has affected all of humanity. And because of such, we all in some way or another will will encounter hardship. We will encounter persecution. We will encounter struggles and trials. But along the way, God has surrounded us with Christians, with examples of others that we can look to for hope and for truth. The author of Hebrews encourages his readers to to run with endurance the race that has been set before them. Furthermore, note that the race that is being run is one that has already been set. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Some translations say the race that is marked out for us. A race is so much easier when you know there's an end in sight. The idea perhaps that the author is trying to convey here is that the race of faith has already been determined for us. The author is providing hope for his readers by saying that I know that the race is difficult, but there's an end in sight. You aren't running aimlessly. There's hope. And so because of this, there must be firm resolve not to drop out or to contest, but to exert every effort to cross the finish line despite hardship, despite exhaustion, despite pain. So in this first verse, he calls us to to persevere, to keep going, to keep running. And that's my encouragement to use, to keep running, to keep going. The second thing he says is, the second thing he does in this second verse is he provides an even better example. Jesus as an example. He says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I think in our culture today, we are a distracted people. We live in a world that that demands or commands for our attention. It doesn't take long if you're watching TV. It doesn't take long to see some sort of ad or something that says you will be happier if you just do this. If you just, I remember seeing an ad and it said it was talking about a TV subscription of some sort. And it it was telling me about how much more joy I would have if I would just spend a couple more dollars and have this extra TV ad on. Or you might see something that says, You're really lacking in life if you don't have this or if you don't do this. And so we live in this world that is calling for our attention and it's calling, it's saying, hey, turn your eyes to me, turn your eyes to me. And if you're anything like me, sometimes it's hard to stay focused on a task when there's so much distraction around me. And so the author of Hebrews begins by pointing us back to these faithful men and women who have gone before us, who are an example to us. But the cloud of witnesses ultimately are insufficient. What we learn in the pages of Scripture is that everyone following Genesis chapter 3 is fallen and corrupted. 
The author says that our principal encouragement is found in the person and work of Christ, who has gone before us as both the founder of our faith and the perfecter of our faith. I was trying to think of an example, and I really couldn't think of one. Of Oftentimes, you have a founder of something. Maybe it's a founder of a business, or maybe it's a founder of, 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 of something else. But usually, the founder is not the perfecter. There's always some other way to add to it to make it better. But Christ is not only the founder of our faith, but he is the perfecter of our faith. One person said, when he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of God, he brought faith to its ultimate goal. He perfected it. And in doing so, inaugurated a new and living way by which to approach God so that we may follow in his steps. There will never be another way to approach God. Christ not only is the founder of our faith, but the, but the perfecter. And so with Christ as our example, I think the author perhaps wants his readers to know this, that Christ was the hope for all the men and women of the faith that had gone before them. I base this on what had previously come before it. If your Bible is still open, I want to draw your attention to Hebrews eleven thirty-two. Hebrews eleven thirty-two. I think this is key to understanding Hebrews 12. He says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned and they were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And so he's reminding the author, he's reminding the readers of of all these people who had gone before him that had suffered so much for the faith. And all these, verse 39, and all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. The reason why these scattered and persecuted believers should be encouraged to run the race of faith with such endurance was because of Christ. All of those that were mentioned in Hebrews 11 looked forward to the coming Messiah. They never lived to receive what had been promised. But for those to whom the author of Hebrews is writing, Christ has come. To us, Christ has come. Not only did Christ come, but he came and he ran the race that was set out to him with perfection. He ran with joy the race that was set before him. Jesus ran the race, endured the cross, and he now sits at the right hand of the throne of God, awaiting all those who would faithfully run to him. For us living on this side of the cross, Jesus' faith is both qualitatively and quantitatively greater than that of the exemplars of the faith of the old covenant. Christians therefore have a more powerful incentive for persevering in faith 
than did those that we read about in Hebrews 11. All those that came served as a mere example, but what the author of Hebrews is saying is, we have Christ, you have Christ, the ultimate example, the the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Set your eyes to him and run. How much more should we be able to run the race that is set before us as we have the ability to look to Christ, the author and the perfecter of our salvation? 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12, the apostle Peter reminds us of this truth when he says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. The prophets longed to know the Messiah. The angels in heaven looked down in amazement at the fact that we get to experience redemption through the blood of Christ. Jesus has come and he has paved the way for us that as we run, we might look at him, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. And so Jesus has come that we might run our race with all of its bruises, with all of its hardships, and that we can run it with joy. One of the reasons why I think that I love this passage so much is because it's so easily applicable to everyone in this room. It's so easily applicable to my life. Just like the original audience, for us today, we have trusted in Christ. We are in a race and we are running toward a prize. And if we think about it, spiritually speaking, a lot have, you know, if we, if we were to think back to the time when Hebrews was written, a lot would have been changed from that day until now. But spiritually speaking, not a lot has changed from this writing until now. If we think about it, the Christian audience was living in a foreign and and pagan land. And they were living in a land that, that despised the truth of God's word. They lived in a world where everything around them was opposed to the gospel message. But the author of Hebrews begs them to look back to the witnesses who have gone before them and to look up to Christ who sits at the right hand of the Father and to run with joy the race that has been set before them or marked out before them. And so I understand that perhaps maybe there are two types of people that are listening and so maybe for the unbeliever, maybe for those who, have, who, who, who haven't entered the race, maybe, there's, maybe you're still on the starting blocks. Maybe you've not even got down onto the field yet. Maybe you've not put your faith and your hope and your trust in Christ. If that's the case for you, I want you to know that, that there is a holy and a loving God and that there is no amount of good works that we can do that would, that would earn us any kind of merit before a holy God. But in God's love and in God's kindness, he has sent Christ to die for us. And if, if we just trust in him, if we put our faith in him, it's okay that, that we will never measure up to what, what we are set out, what we are called to set out to do because Christ has done it perfectly for us. And so for the unbeliever, I want to encourage you to, to get, in, get in the race 
read God's word, under, understand who, try to understand who you are and who Christ is, who God is. For the believer, which I would assume is most everyone in this room, as a runner, I, I notice that I have a tendency to do something when I run. And I don't know if it's a habit, I don't know if it's just me, or if it's other people that, that also run, but I notice that I do something whenever I get tired. And so if I go outside and I'm, I'm running and, and I hit a wall and, and I'm thinking, man, I'm done, I begin looking down. I don't look, I don't look straight, I begin to look down as I run. And I know, I know if I'm running a long distance and my eyes start to drift down to my feet, I know it might get rough. And I know when, begin, when I begin looking down that, that, that fatigue is starting to set in. And perhaps spiritually that is where you are. Perhaps you love the gospel, you love God's word, but right now you're looking down as you're going. Maybe you feel spiritually tired and you feel almost defeated perhaps you were at a point where you were ready to quit you know i think this is the reality of of all believers at some point in time we live in a fallen world where every one of us is going to experience hardship whether that is a a loss of a loved one whether that is persecution from a family member or a co-worker or maybe it's the reality of a lost family member I was reminded as I prepared for this, I was reminded of Psalm 42 and 43. And in that, those two chapters, the psalmist uses this constant refrain. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Hope in God. If for whatever reason you were cast down this, this, this evening, I want to encourage you to fix your gaze once again on Christ. Pick up your eyes and look to the author and the perfecter of our faith. Don't quit. Don't take your eyes off the prize, but keep running, keep going, keep persevering. The author of Hebrews reminds us that in Christ we have a high priest who, is, who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and grace to help in the time of need. And so perhaps this evening you are running the race of faith and, and you are carrying baggage. You, you are running, but you have something that is impeding your ability to, to, to move. And so I encourage you to look to Christ, to lay off every sin and weight that is keeping you from pursuing Christ. And I'm not exactly sure what that might be for you. Maybe, maybe as we said, maybe it's an outright sin that you are tangled up in and scripture prohibitively says, hey, don't do this. But perhaps maybe what you're entangled in is not necessarily a sin, but it is pulling your focus for sure off of Christ. If that's you, I want to encourage you to look to Christ, set your gaze to Christ. He is our only hope. For who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross and the cross that we might gain 
is everything. So if, if, we, look to Christ, if we look to Christ, we gain everything. So we might endure hardship, we might endure persecution, but, but Christ is all that we need. He is fully sufficient. And I end with this quote. Whatever Christians have lost for Christ, they have given up to gain a far greater treasure in Christ. Perhaps maybe God is working in your heart and in your life. And I want to encourage you, if that is the case, and you uh, feel the desire to, to speak to a minister, there will, they will be down here. So I want to encourage you to do that. But would you pray with me? God, you are good. You are great. You love us. You care for us. Father, I'm so thankful that you ran the race that was set before you so that we could in turn run the race that is set out before us. God, I pray that we would fix our gaze to you. Father, that we would realize that everything else in this life will fail us. Everything else in this life fails in comparison to you. It will not fit the bill. It will not um, meet all the satisfaction and desires of our heart. But God, you will. God, I pray that we would cast our gaze upon you, the author and the perfecter of our faith. In your name that we pray. Amen. Would you sing?